0: So glad you're here this morning. I tell you, I hope you've had a great weekend. Uh, we did. We had an experience yesterday. Uh, some of you, in fact, I uh, sure, I saw some of you there. The Woodlands Marathon was yesterday, and we had quite a few people running. Uh, members and even some of our ministry staff. Uh, Pastor Jonathan ran. Miss Stephanie Chase ran. Jeff Skipper ran not only yesterday, but his second marathon this year. He he ran in January, and then again. Saturday finishing the marathon in exactly, and I mean exactly, his goal of four hours. It was 4 colon zero zero when he crossed the finish line, and it was fun to watch. Although, I don't think he'll mind me telling you this, uh, but I had the privilege with Beverly and Rebecca while Jonathan had run, and I had the privilege to, to drop back throughout the course and get to about mile 21, And we saw Pastor Jeff running at mile 21. You know, a marathon's 26, so at 21, you're past the point of no return. You've got to finish, right? But he didn't see us see him, and we saw his face. And I'll tell you, I have to say, Pastor Jeff, you were seriously considering calling it quits. (laughs) I mean, his face was just telling the story. He had had enough. And I happen to know him pretty well, as you know, so I know what he's been through over many months to prepare and to train. And and we honked the horn, cheered him on. He brightened up a little bit. Then we drove along a little way with him to encourage him. When he got to that last mile, he was going to make the loop. I hollered out of the truck, you're there. It's done. Just You're there, just to encourage him. And then we got out of the truck and ran to the finish line. That's all the running I did yesterday. Went to the finish line and waited for him to cross. I'm watching the clock above the finish line. It's going 3.58, 3.59. Knew his goal was four minutes, and I'm thinking, I don't know if he's going to make it. But he made that last turn, saw that finish line, and found another gear he didn't know he had. And he sprinted after 26.1 miles. He sprinted the last tenth. And listen to this. Crossed the finish line at exactly four hours and zero minutes. And listen. all oh, the best part's to come. I have it on video. I should show the video. When he crossed the finish line, he gasped and yelled, Wah! as he crossed that finish line. I have it on video. That will last forever. I have it on video. And then he took a few painful steps, came to a stop, and then they put that thing around his neck with that big old medal and gave him the T-shirt that said, Finisher. Finisher and while a few miles earlier i had seen the expression of pain and of regret and of what was i thinking and why am i doing this to myself and there's fleming in his truck <laughs> once these folks had crossed the finish line everything changed there was that you know that sense of of, of seriously real satisfaction that that sense of i've done something i've finished this race i i finished i did it all the training through the circumstances the difficulties the hardships the weather the injuries the busy life and schedules in that moment i could tell for him for them it was worth it it was worth finishing and so here we are almost to our finish line but not yet in the book of Acts, if you'll turn there with me to chapter 20, we'll find Paul the Apostle at his midpoint in the race. In Acts chapter 9, he, he's met by Jesus on the road to Damascus and has that life-changing experience that forever alters the trajectory of his life. And he becomes Paul the Apostle, missionary, evangelist, church planter. And he starts down this road of faith and following Jesus, fulfilling his mission, his purpose, his plan. And through many hardships and great difficulties, he just keeps putting one foot in front of the other. But now we meet Paul in chapter 20, still some chapters from his finish line. We find Paul at a midpoint, at a moment of decision. I want you to pick up and listen as I read this story from Paul's half-time, if you will, experience. When the next step is likely to be costly. Now, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course." and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Do you feel the weight of this moment? Can you sense that this is decision time for Paul? Not the first decision. But the next decision. This isn't the first step, it's just the next step. And Paul meets there in Miletus with the Ephesian elders because he's determined to get to Jerusalem, to return to Jerusalem with the aid, with the offering, with the assistance that the brothers in Asia Minor had collected to bless the saints in Judea who were struggling. And he's not going to go into Ephesus and spend any time there because the pressure might be just enough to cause Paul to second-guess his next step. So with just the elders, just the spiritual leaders of the congregation who longed for him to stay with them, he knew that this was probably his limit. And there on the beach in Miletus, as they met together, I'm listening in between the lines and hearing some conversation perhaps behind the scenes. Perhaps one elder in Ephesus said to Paul, Paul, would you just hit pause and could we just maybe think about this? Could could we just talk about this? I mean, think about it, Paul, after all you've done for the sake of the gospel. Missionary, apostle, church planter, evangelist, soul winner extraordinaire, apologist for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd been on three missionary journeys and taken the gospel from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and literally on his way to the ends of the earth. Three missionary journeys. Haven't you, Paul, done enough? Haven't you gone far enough? Haven't you preached enough sermons? Haven't you made a deep enough impact? Paul, for all you've done for the sake of the gospel, when is enough enough? I could hear another elder chime in and say, well, not only that, but Paul, after all that's been done to you for the sake of the gospel. I mean, think about this. Not just what you've done, but what's been done to you. He's been rejected. He's been slandered. He's been beaten. He's been jailed. He knew hardship after hardship after hardship, including the most basic necessities of life, of bodily warmth and food and water, clothing. He he knew the cost of this call, And surely somebody would say, Paul, at what point is enough enough, brother? I mean, really? You've done enough. And more than enough has been done to you. Paul, when is enough enough for you? And now you're going to do what? You're going to Jerusalem? And you know what awaits you there? The Spirit himself has given witness to you that what awaits you is trial and suffering... And maybe even your own death. Really, Paul? Come on, man. Be reasonable. Let's be realistic here. You could do a lot more if you stayed here in Ephesus with us. Why would you go? Why take another step? When is enough? Enough. It's a legitimate question. really is. It's really a fair question. When do we draw the line? That we've done enough, given enough, served enough, gone far enough. Enough is enough. Or this has been tough and this journey has been hard and I've suffered greatly. When is enough enough? For Paul, he hadn't reached that point yet. Not here in Acts chapter 20 nor would he reach the point of enough in Jerusalem once the trouble really began. He didn't find the enough line in Caesarea Maritime as he waited there those years, languishing in prison. Nor in Jerusalem, nor in Caesarea, not even in Rome. When Paul makes it to Rome, chained to Roman guards, imprisoned and facing his own death, By execution, martyrdom, Paul still hadn't found the line that says, enough. I want to challenge us today before we deal with these cards of commitment to think about how in the world, why in the world, we would take yet another step. Why would we take another and then another Let me offer you two suggestions. First of all, we take another step because we are determined to finish faithfully. If you're taking notes, I hope you will, jot that down. We are determined to finish faithfully. That's all Paul's doing, don't you see? He's had a life-changing experience that's changed the direction of his life and sent him down a new road in life. One step that led to another And to another. Taking the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God and of Jesus Christ and of salvation in Him, the message of repentance and of faith in Jesus. Step after step after step, to person after person, in city after city, to country after country, on missionary journey after missionary journey after missionary journey. These have been His steps. This has been His race. This has been His journey since He said He stepped foot in Asia. Did you see that? Since the day I stepped foot in Asia, verse 18 tells us. Paul's just been faithful to put one foot in front of the other, in front of another, in front of another. Step after step after step. This next step that Paul must now take is just simply another step that is consistent with his last step and the step before that. Do you see this? You see, we'd be having a very different conversation right now if we'd be having a conversation at all if Paul had chosen to change the direction of his steps. To not take this step or to choose a different step, another step, in another direction, a different direction. Would we even be having this conversation? I don't know. But I know it wouldn't be a conversation about Paul. So it shouldn't surprise us then that Paul took the next step which was consistent with his last step. Now think about this for just a moment. Some of us have been saved for a short period of time. Some of us have been saved for a very long period of time. By now, as Paul. So at what point, having followed Jesus step after step throughout the course of our life, do we come to the step where we finally say, that's it? I mean, at what step do we plant our foot and dig in and say, that's it? I'm not going any further with you. I'm not following you any further down this road. I've come far enough. I'm done. At what point? We've been following Jesus in his steps, step after step. Do we come to the last step and say, no more? Where is that step? When is that moment? Where is that line? And in Paul's case, even if the next steps could be risky, and they were, to test his beliefs, to challenge his resolve, and they would, what Paul saw in this next step was an opportunity to further prove the faithfulness of God. You see, there are two ways to see every step. Even the risky steps, the dangerous steps, the steps we might hesitate to take, is just another step to prove the faithfulness of God as every step behind us has proven the faithfulness of God. And not only that, Paul with this next step will prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that he's the real deal. He's not faking it. He's not going through the motions. He's not checking a box. Paul's ministry and mission wasn't for pretense or for the applause of men and women, not even for the sake of the church. What Paul's going to prove is he's all in. Because, you know, there are some steps we have to take that take us so far beyond our comfort zone that they challenge our faith and our resolve and reveal whether or not, in fact, we're the real deal. There are some steps that put us out there in the area of evidence and proof that, in fact, what we say we believe, we believe. Who we present ourselves, we are, in fact. They're authenticating steps. Paul is at one of those places where his next step will prove not only the faithfulness of God, but Paul's faithfulness to God. Constrained. Constrained or compelled from a sense of deep belief of what he knew to be true of all of his experience. See, Paul's not taking a new step. It's just another step. He's got all of these steps in his recent past and throughout his history as a believer, as a follower of Christ upon which to find courage to take this next step. It's what he's experienced to to be true. It's what he knows to be, in fact, fact of what his faith has proven in the faithfulness of God. And Paul's next step is what he's given his life to already, and that is to fulfilling his ministry that he says in the text he had received from the Lord Jesus Christ. This next step will be just a continuing step that he feels compelled to take, constrained to take, at any cost he's going to take this step, even when others told him not to do it. And again, Paul puts his time, his talent, and his treasure, his freedom, even his life on the line to take another step. Let's just say he put it on the altar because we know what Paul said. Paul counted everything he'd ever accomplished as trash compared to the precious and priceless treasure of knowing Christ and being faithful to Him. He put it all on the altar to take another step, a next step, to finish, as he says, faithfully, to cross the finish line, having been faithful, proving then the faithfulness of God, to someday hear, I know Paul yearned to hear, at the finish line, well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, that's a good enough reason for any of us to take another step, and another, and another, until we cross the finish line, when we hear Jesus say, good job. Suggestion number one, why take another step? Because we are determined to finish faithfully. And saying amen, folks, which I always appreciate, you know, saying amen to a Baptist preacher is like saying sick to a bulldog. <laughs> we like it. But saying amen is one thing. This card, which we're going to be dealing with in just a few minutes, is amen in action. This card is not about thinking about commitment. It's not thinking about dedication. It's not thinking about finishing. Lots of people can think about running a marathon. I thought about running a marathon. I think I might think again about running a marathon. I'm inspired by those who run marathons. But until you see me out there running around the woodlands... I'm just thinking about it. This card takes you beyond thinking about your next step to taking your next step. Number two, not only determined to finish faithfully, but secondly, we know the cost will be worth it. We know the cost of that next step will be worth it. I mean, Paul says of himself, I don't count my life. He's in the role of an accountant now. Do you hear this? I don't, verse 24, account my life of any value, nor is precious to me. That's not how Paul's thinking. And it's not that Paul suffers from low self-esteem. He knew who he was in Christ, and he had that confidence of Christ in him. This isn't a statement diminishing Paul's value. This is a statement of emphasis that there is, in fact, something of infinitely greater value that is in play here, that is potential here, that is possible here. And Paul isn't valuing himself as less as much as he is counting or considering some things and something worth more. I mean, think about this practically. Paul doesn't have a death wish. He's not trying to get beat up, chained up, locked up. He's not trying to get dragged to Rome and thrown up in front of Caesar. He's not trying to be executed, not even for the sake of his faith. That's not what he's trying to do. He's not throwing his life away, though I'm sure somebody on the beach in Miletus may have suggested he was doing as much. No, what Paul's doing is he is living out a different value system. He is living according to a different kind of accounting. Paul considered counted that even if the worst scenario were to come to pass, even that would be a worthwhile investment or cost to pay for the sake of the value that would return. That's what you see here. Let me say this. I want you to jot this down if you have a moment. It will be on the screens for you. What God has for us is worth more than anything He'll ever ask from us. Whatever cost, the next step requires. Even if everything in us and the people around us say, don't do that, that's going to cost you too much. Let me make you a promise that I will stake on 28 years of gospel ministry and my whole life of living since nine years old of following Jesus. Let me say something to you. What you and I hold on to will pale in comparison to what God has for us to get a hold of. But we value what we have so much that we won't loosen our grip on it enough to ever get what God has for us in hand. God will never ask you To pay for anything, to give anything, to do anything, to suffer anything, that there isn't something of far greater value on its way in. It's called faith, folks. It's trust. It's belief based on experience in ever-increasing amounts in the faithfulness of God, and the infinite treasure and worth of God in Christ Jesus to us. That's why Paul said, I don't have anything of any value compared to the value of knowing Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? There isn't anything in my hand, nothing in my life, nothing in my world that I would hold on to at the expense of knowing Jesus because having Jesus is having everything and not having Jesus is having nothing. So what Paul has become here is a, an investor, a trader of sorts, a barterer, someone who has something of lesser value with the potential to trade that something of lesser value for something of greater value. And Paul sees the potential in this. He's not minimizing the cost or his own health, wealth, and well-being or his own life or his freedom. He's not devaluing that. He just sees the value in what God has for him, even if it cost him what he has himself. Paul knew it was worth it. And so he's willing to trade his plans for the plan and purposes of God. He's willing to trade his earthly possessions for eternal treasure in heaven. He's willing to trade his creature comforts for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He's willing to trade his health for the opportunity to see others healed from sin forever. He's willing to trade the company of his friends so that others can become friends of God. He's willing to trade his freedom so that others could know freedom in Christ He's willing to trade anything and everything just to hear Jesus say this one thing, well done, good and faithful servant. That meant more to Paul than anything. And yes, of course, there is a cost. If I told you this was easy, no big deal, doesn't cost much at all, you should get up and walk out. Because you'd have a pastor that doesn't care enough about you to call you To something greater, to challenge you, to stretch, to reach. And yes, if the cost is to open your hand to let something go so that God could put something of greater value in it, then I want you to know for you, not for me, for your heart and for your faith and for your life and for your journey, not for mine, for you, I will call you to do whatever it takes to bear whatever cost, to pay whatever price there is, to get a hold of what God has for you. The risk is, what if God isn't faithful? What if God doesn't come through? What if God lets me down? Look at me. That's not who he is. That's not how he operates. That's not how it works. God will not deny himself. God will not be inconsistent or act in any way that is contrary to His divine nature and character. God is faithful, and you can trust Him, but you're going to have to trust Him. Oh, but when you do, you're going to find Him faithful. And you're going to find that what God has for you is of infinitely greater value than whatever it is you could hold on to for yourself You just have to be willing to let it go. Maybe you're familiar with the term, the law of the harvest. It is a law. He that sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He that sows generously will also reap generously. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 12. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Which meant for His ultimate execution through crucifixion, His death and His burial and then his resurrection. They heard crucifixion, death, and burial. They weren't ready for resurrection. So in the context of this conversation, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. There is a price to pay for sowing seed into the ground. But unless we sow that seed in the ground, it can never produce a harvest. We can't increase, we can't multiply if we aren't willing to invest, to sow, to give, to let go. And I want to encourage you, it's worth whatever faithfulness costs us. The return is worth the investment in fact if i believed if you believed if we all just really believed that to be true that the return would be worth it what wouldn't we invest it'd be like the man who who discovered treasure in a field and he went and sold everything that he had to buy that field it's jesus's parable he's telling that if you believed it if you knew it if you understood the value of what was hidden in that field There isn't anything you wouldn't let go of. There isn't anything you wouldn't sell and redeem. There isn't any price you wouldn't pay to buy the field because you know what lies in that field. And so if I believe the return would truly be worth it, that God is truly faithful, that this is truly how the kingdom works and the kingdom economy operates, what wouldn't I do? What wouldn't I give? What cost would I not be willing to pay? The question is, Number one, what is Jesus worth? He's the treasure in the field. What is Jesus worth? Is he worth the risk? Is he worth the cost? Is he worth the price? Is he worth the difficulties? Is he worth the hardship? Is he worth the suffering? Is he even worth everything? I don't know about for you, but for me, yes. He's worth everything. What's faithfulness to his call worth? What's the finish line worth? What's well-done, good, and faithful servant worth? What's heaven and its return and reward worth? What are the souls of men and women, boys and girls, who stand between the everlasting joy of heaven and the eternal punishment of hell? What are they worth? What's this mission worth to Paul to share the gospel to include others, to reach every nation, was worth anything and everything for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of souls. What's the value of our obedience? What price would we put on our affection for Him? What is He worth to us? Folks, this commitment card isn't everything. But it's not nothing either. This card is something And I just want to say to you, this card says something about what's in here and what's going on in here. For many of us, this card represents just the next step in a long line of steps of faithfully following Jesus. We just haven't come yet to the last step. But this is the next step to finish faithfully. For others, this will be the first step. You've never taken a step like this. This is the scariest step you've ever taken because this step is costly in terms of treasure and resources and finances. And for you to lift that foot and point it in this direction and put it down in this direction says a lot about your faith in God and what you value in the kingdom of God. This card says something. We've been on a journey. We're now halfway through. It's the midpoint. We have 12 months left. As you begin to find this card right now, and in fact, if you didn't receive a card, it's not in your worship folder or you didn't get a worship folder, we have some scattered throughout the worship center right now. I want to invite those with these to stand and just walk through the aisles. And if you see someone with a stack of cards come near you, just wave at them, get their attention, and they'll be delighted to give you one of these cards. They're in every worship folder, and they're available to you. While we ensure that everybody has one, students, we want you to be a part of this. Children, we want you to be a part of this. Every adult, every person, even if you're a guest, we don't mind at all. If you want to get in here and go with us, we'd be delighted to have you finish this race faithfully. While we do this, would you take a look at the screens, and let's remember some things that God has said through others. Hello, Champion Forest, and congratulations. We're halfway through this Multiplied Generosity Initiative. Of course, generosity is a journey, not a destination. And so along the way, it's important that we pause to look around and see where we are, to look up and see what God's doing, and to look within to make sure we're still engaged, still making progress, and still going in the right direction. Hopefully, these last four or five weeks have given all of us the opportunity to go before the Lord and to ask Him what our next steps should look like and what this second half should be for each of us. Remember, our primary goal is still 100% engagement, and we're still committed to reaching that goal. That means we need everyone at Champion Forest to either step in, to stay in, or to step up as we enter this second half. Imagine, what if we hit that goal of 100%? What if everyone did their very best at what each of us and only us can do? What if we were fully engaged? What if we gave generously and even sacrificially with a bold faith in God's ability to provide and his faithfulness to keep his promises? Imagine the kind of church champion Forest would be. Imagine the difference we could make together in our own communities, and imagine the impact we could make around the world for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know you share my heart in this. I want to do more than imagine it. I want to see it, to live it, to fully experience it in the here and now. And folks, this is it. This is our chance through the Multiply Generosity Initiative and this upcoming second half to do those very things we've only imagined up until now. Today, let's take a bold step of faith in the right direction to do the very best we can do as we make our commitments for this second half of Multiply. the the Lord has quadrupled what we said we would do. And I mean, we talk about giving, but, and the blessings you receive, but there's many more blessings than just a financial return. The Lord's opened the doors for us to work more, to multiply more with people. We see it all as, all as, it's his, it comes, it goes. When it wasn't there, he made it happen anyway. And I think when you don't get to step out in faith that way, you're kind of missing out on the opportunity to God to show off in your life. I have gotten closer to the Lord, and we've watched two of our children already accept Christ here, and that that's amazing. We need to make sure that we're still getting challenged because I don't want to get back to just checking that box. I want to still be lit up for for God. I guess for me, it was uh, being part of a church that is alive and well, uh, that cares as much about the people outside the doors as they do inside the doors. To get to be a part of that is just very special to us. Uh, and to just, just kind of put it on the line and just say, God, this is... This is what we believe you're doing uh, in our marriage and our lives, God, and we just want to be obedient. We just want to be faithful to you. We uh, made a commitment to God. There's just joy in generosity. I Every time I write the check, it's like I'm so thankful that we're able to do it. God's provided all of it. It's all God. This is definitely a step of faith of just trusting and believing God to be our supplier and meet all of the needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God has blessed us richly all of our life and Multiply is giving us that opportunity to give back to Him in just our little way of thanking Him for all the blessings that He has given to us. My mimi, my mimi gave me some ten dollars for Valentine's Day, and I put it in my gift can to get to give to Jesus. From all the gifts that we received from Christ, uh, it just helped us to realize that um, you need to be an encouragement to other people. So one of the things that uh, we try to do is uh, we want to become givers and our, you're almost as you look back you're amazed that he's been so good to us. I mean certainly beyond anything that we would deserve for sure. The potential of, of what can happen if our church today is generous with their time and their resources. I I can't help but want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. And we feel the same way. So you have this card now. We're almost ready to lay our cards on the altar. Can I walk you through it for just a moment? If you have the card, hold it up, open to the inside, and you'll notice our primary goal is still 100% engagement. That means we need everybody. Don't devalue or underestimate your contribution, the amount of it. It's your engagement. It's your participation that helps us reach the most important goal. On the right side, as you open the folder, you'll notice two areas. The first says, I'm new to multiply. That means you weren't here a year ago, or if you were, you didn't make a commitment at that time, so we don't have a commitment on record or on file for your participation and for your engagement. We'd love to have you come go with us, if you're new or if you've been here. If you haven't filled out one of these, we need you. We want you. We're asking you to come on and go with us. So you check the box for a 12-month commitment. That's all we have left. We're halfway through, 12 months to go. And then you'll put that number, the total of your giving, all your generosity to Champion Force in any way, shape, or form. If it comes to Champion Force, it's all multiply. And you would take that number over the next 52 weeks, determine what it is, and write that number in the first box on the right. The second category are for those of us who committed a year ago. We're already engaged. But there are two options. First, what we'd love for you to do is tell us again, uh, for our sake and for your sake, what your initial commitment to multiply was. So that's the number of your total generosity over two years that you made one year ago. We're just now halfway through. So write that initial number in the second box to your right, and do us a favor, write it legibly, or we may assign a few zeros to the end of it for you to to bless you and benefit you. I'm just kidding. We wouldn't do that. But here are your options under this category. First, the number you committed one year ago. Then, either you would confirm that commitment amount to finish strong, to finish faithfully, to trust God, to have the same faith you started with to finish with. And so you would check that second box. Or... You might say, what I committed a year ago, we're, we're able to meet, and it's not stretching us, and we believe we could stretch and reach and do even more, more than what we thought perhaps was enough a year ago. doesn't mean what you committed a year ago was too little, or wasn't significant, but maybe your circumstances have changed, and maybe God has, has done some things in your life and through your finances that would enable you to step up, as we would say. And here's what we would have you do. Check the third box on the left, and then in the third box on the right... Just put what your new commitment level for two years would be. Don't worry about the percentage before or since or after. If your first commitment a year ago was, let's say, $10,000, but you believe over the same two-year period, meaning in the next 12 months you could actually reach 15, put the new number there. Don't put what you're adding or what you're increasing by. Just give us the new level of commitment that you believe God is leading you to stretch towards. Put that in that third box. Of course, give us your details, and again, please write legibly so the folks here will be able to get that information recorded, and then they'll, of course, correspond with you and confirm uh, those numbers as well, as you have need for us to do. I want Beverly to come, and she and I are going to pray together here, and I want to give you a moment there where you are just to consider to pray. If you need to speak to your spouse, you won't bother anyone around you, but I would ask that all of us pray together and for this card, and just simply ask the Lord, what does this card mean? To me, What does this card say about our determination to finish faithfully and about our value system and what really matters most to us? Believing, of course, that whatever it is God calls us to commit to, to give, to let go of, is pale by comparison to what He has for us if we follow Him and walk in faith. So would you take a moment where you are and just prayerfully consider. I'll come back and give you instructions in just a moment. But I want you to have a moment there where you are to simply pray and consider. What does this card really say? Pray pray where you are. Take a few moments. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that the truth of God's word is both encouraging and uplifting to you. If you'd like more information about our church, service times, or locations, or if you have a question about what you heard today and you want to connect with someone, I want to encourage you to visit us on our website at championforest.org. Have a great day, and God bless.